Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at RyanRoxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. What is happening, folks? Well, we all know what's happening, the obvious, and uh, we are going to try to avoid that today. I don't know if anybody of you that saw my uh, Instagram story right before we went on, um, I said we're going to do everything we can um, not to talk about war. We're going to talk about rock and roll. And of course, war stories come into rock and roll, but definitely a different kind. And like I said, our hearts are in one place right now, but today is our... Um, we're going to sort of a deviation, if you will, sort of uh, a little distraction, if you will, some rock and roll. And I can't think of a better distraction than the guests that we have on today, right? So if you are listening to us on one of our audio broadcasts, thank you very much for doing so. But we really want you on our YouTube official page. Um, that's Ryan Roxy official. Um, there's a subscribe button that we can hit right there. I know Vic just did it, our producer, but now I'm doing it again, twice. Twice. That's the way we do it. Because we want you to see our lovely guest today. Um, and we want you to be part of our live chat. Thank you for joining in, uh, ITT Faithful. So, again, uh, yeah, it's been a fucking last couple days, hasn't it? And uh, let's start talking rock and roll. Let's just have some fun for the time that we have right now with our guest. Our guest, he's an old friend, he's an old bandmate. But lately, he's been making news in all the rock tabloids. Get it? Old news. <laughs> yeah. Plus, he's got some new music to talk about. Uh, so between mixing the old school bands like Motley Crue and uh, many others, and his new single, Your Own Worst Enemy, along with everything in between, let's talk about it all. Let's welcome into the trenches... The mayor of rock and roll, or at least the mayor of the Monsters of Rock cruise, Mr. John Karabi. Hello, John. Hello, mate. How are you? Dude, you're being very undude right now. We were just talking about that. How friggin' cool. For those of you, again, that are not uh, watching us on the YouTube channel and you're only listening to us on the audio broadcast, you got to come in here and check out Karabi's... Uh, well, I, I don't know if this is your newest quaff, but I love the style. It's going very uh, around, what did I say, Jeff Bridges, the dude. It's, it's called Age, bro. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you have it. Dude, I'm telling you, if you go right back, if you go, you're the doppelganger. You're the dude. You know, it's funny. I love that movie. The greatest line I've ever heard in my life is when the guy takes the bowling ball and he goes, what is this? And he's just sitting on the toilet and he goes, Obviously, you're not a golfer. <laughs> what movie is this you're talking about? The Big Lebowski. Never heard of it. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, you got to check it out. Exactly. That's one of those things that no. How many pictures did Vic get in the matter of three minutes? Just be, from that one comment when we were doing sound check, like your hair looks very cool, very Jeff Bridges. So what does Vic do? He goes and gets like ten pictures of Jeff Bridges. Maybe we should have him on the podcast too. What do you think? Um. First question, uh, just out of the gate, you know, hot button issues. Uh, the first question that I'm sure everyone is dying to know, and I know you're tired of talking about it, 
But is Tommy's dick as big as they portray it in the new Hulu special? Listen, I, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. There's a few things that everybody asks me um, at my shows. And number one is, hey, dude, what was it like being in Motley Crue? And I go, what I remember of it, it was pretty cool. Number two, they say, uh, did you see the dirt? Yes, I did. Did you like it? No, I didn't. Um, why? Well, because they couldn't get Morgan Freeman to play me. That's the second <laughs> thing. The third thing is they, you know, then they ask, you know, what the guys are like. And, and, and I've had some girls, I don't know why they feel the need to ask me, but they go, is Tommy Lee's penis really that big? And I go, it's not like I held it. <laughs> Not like I weighed it, measured it, anything like that. But I did see the video, and if you can throw it off the end of a boat and it changes directions, it's a pretty big dick. So just leave it at that. Boom. There it is. Honest answers, hardball questions on In the Trenches, answered straight ahead from John Karabi. But guess what? I mean, that's the thing. You have been making the rock tabloids a lot lately, talking about uh, this Hulu special. And, you know, I don't want to inundate you and just be another podcast looking for the soundbite but you know and I, and it could have been my third question like most girls they're they're classy they wait until the third question to ask you about tommy's dick but i thought i'd go right out of the gate with it so let's let's just get the dick talk out of the way <laughs> <laughs> and you know what it's done i think we got that talk done vic even though you did some amazing editing and photoshopping with that picture of tommy's can you put that censored photo up one more time just so you get the pleasure of it i love it and it, it obviously it's not circumcised because it's an actual rectangle i didn't know that was even possible but let's move on from tommy's dick to going back to get forward what do you say vic moving fast here baby we're moving fast i think that was gilby clark's uh, motorcycle that we sampled for that could be <laughs> that's all you got to say about it <laughs> look i'm not baiting you i'm not baiting you for any of these things all i want to know is the truth oh even, shit <laughs> even if i can't handle the truth even if our audience can't handle the truth i just want whatever's coming out of your mind today because you know what we are with the dude john karabi um so many bands uh so much history um even you and i have played in bands whether we were on stage together or not we've played in bands together but mm -hmm. you know you're a philadelphia guy born and bred um in the 19 warhounds and so the thing is <laughs> There's never enough talk about Angora. Can we break open Angora? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's funny when um, we were in Philadelphia, um, unlike the New York scene, Philadelphia was, there was not much of a market for bands that were trying to do like original rock. Um, all the bands that were popular in Philadelphia at the Play time covers. was... Uh, no, well, it, there was a huge cover circuit there. But the bands that were getting like local airplay and the original stuff that was happening was a band called... Um, there was a guy named Robert Hazard and Heroes who... Um, Robert... It, it's so weird. Cindy Lauper tapped into the Philadelphia market for a little bit 
Robert ha- Robert Hazard wrote the song or co-wrote the song "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." Uh huh. And was then, this before uh, Angel Blue? Because she was a. I know her as more of that. It wasn't a Blue Angel or Angel Blue was her first band. I don't know what she was doing, but Robert Hazard had a song called uh, "Obviously Girls Just Want to Have Fun," and then there was. Um, then there was another band called the Hooters who actually wrote time after time. After time. time. Eric. And Eric. there was another ballad that they did for her. Yeah. They wrote two songs, but it was that, you know, kind of new wave. Was you it know, true colors? Eyes. I think it was true colors as well. Yes, I believe it was. And, um, you know, so the, the market was really like for bands like, you know, at the time Cinderella was just starting to come up. Uh, my band, um, was that Tangier, An- was that Heaven Angora Tangier. or and Britney Fox was around around that same time too? Yeah, they they were all kind of getting started. And when we we were in Philadelphia, we had a different drummer at the time. We had Johnny D was our drummer. Um, Love Johnny. Johnny D. had gone out to California for a quick vacation, and he was telling us like, "Oh my God, dude, everybody's got big hair, and there's every club you can play originals." So we decided to move out. We did it one by one over the course of a year. We moved out to L.A. and we put the band back together in L.A. And Johnny decided to stay in Philly. Wait, um, Johnny D., the same guy that... From Doro. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but the same guy that would, that actually lured you out to L.A. Do you ever think that maybe he was just trying to get you guys out of Philly? <laughs> There's that possibility because they all got signed after we left. But... um, um. You know, we wound up getting a guy named Robert Ietzi, um, and we put the band back together. And we were doing really, really well. We had, you know, a lot of record labels were checking us out. We were doing um, a pretty decent, we had a pretty decent draw in all the clubs. But as per usual uh, in L.A., um, we all started to get a little bit more into the partying part than the actual focusing on the music. What year did band- you move to LA? Because I, I I moved there like in to go down to GIT in 1983, late 83, 84. I was 85, 86. You're right there. You're in the thick yeah. of it. I can tell and- by those photos because if you put up any of those Angora photos, th- that would be Sunset Boulevard Friday, Saturday night. It's 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 down Gazzari's. It's then you go all the way down to the Troubadour. Maybe you you, you swipe by the well, coconut the thing, teaser. If you remember, if you remember, you had you had the Troubadour, you had uh, Gazzari's, the Roxy, the Whiskey, the FM station, Country Club, Madame Wong's, like all you know, all those places. And that there was nothing in Philadelphia unless you could do some originals but you had to kind of intersperse them like with covers. So we were doing like Dio and Sabbath and like all this shit. And then we'd do a cover or an original. Um, but here, when we moved to LA, it was like, we could just focus on all original material. And, you know, so we did that, but it imploded because you imploded you know, before uh, other than getting some, cool attention from gene simmons who i think liked i think he liked if you go back to that picture vic he liked all of your hair because it was a combination of a lot of gene simmons styles of hair over the years probably you know gene, well gene actually offered us a record deal for his record label um you know but then like i said 
some of the members were starting to get into like really heavy drugs and, and we just kind of imploded. Um, uh, you know, and then I went on to do, I put the, I put the, uh, you know, with my manager, John Greenberg, we put the scream together with a couple members of racer X at the time. It was, uh, and, and the racer X guys are to, to sort of, you know, where my story comes in as far as that was GIT guys. Right. Yes. Racer X was a lot of MI guys. And I remember, you know, the musicians there were always, uh, always playing, always riffing. So that's cool. You and John Greenberg, your manager at the time, you guys known each other forever. I had no idea of that history. Yeah. Well, we, it, so when I first hooked up with those guys, um, it was Juan Alderetti, the bass player, Bruce Bouillet was on guitar and the drummer was Scott Travis. And we started writing and, you know, doing demos for what eventually would become the scream. But then Travis got the phone call to go to England and he wound up auditioning for Judas Priest and he left the band and did the painkiller record with enter. Uh, Which is arguably band. one of the priest's best records, right? It, it was crazy. No. And then, um, then we wound up getting a drummer named Walt Woodward and, you know, which it was kind of cool. Like Scott was an amazing drummer, but Walt just had this stank when he played. He, he had that kind of Charlie Watts, John Bonham thing. And um, it just worked. And we wound up getting a record deal almost immediately. And then they just said, go right. And we, we they stuck us in the studio for like seven months and we just wrote. And that's the byproduct of, uh, you know, our first record deal. I believe by that time, my band that we were playing around, this probably the same club scene with Electric Angels. We had moved to the East Coast. We had done the exact opposite route of what you did. So we crisscrossed countries. We went to New York and got our record deal. And I remember The Scream being the West Coast answer to Skid Row, or maybe it was the question to Skid Row. It was right around the same time because mm -hmm. they had this really enigmatic front man. It was like, you know, um, I'm getting ahead of myself in chronological order because, I, like I said, I want to spend more time on Angora. And I, I, I will ask for a lot of definitions today on the podcast because I really do want to know. But, John, what does Angora mean for the first band? <laughs> Which is was Gene Simmons' biggest Great. biggest issue with us. He goes, I fucking hate the name. I'm giving you guys a record deal, but you gotta change the name. He goes, Why do you wanna be why do you wanna be called like, you know, it's a fucking sweater, dude. It's a sweater. <laughs> like why do you wanna be called why do you wanna be named after a sweater? And you know, so then he came in with he goes, I got the perfect name for you guys. And we go, uh, okay. He goes eight ball and i'm thinking drugs like three and a half ounces it's how i learned it's how or three and a half grams equals an eighth of an ounce that's how i learned the metric system folks i don't want to get into it more than that but yes eight ball is a abbreviation for an eighth of an ounce which is three and a half grams and that's all we'll say about it but yeah right but, but it, it, it was funny i said to gene i go dude like everybody's gonna think that's a drug thing and he goes nah one interview, you'll knock it out. He goes, four guys, eight balls, you're called eight ball. <laughs> it's actually genius. All right, Gene. It's yeah. genius again. Um, but that is 
I never thought about eight balls. Four guy, a four piece band. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was but Angora I, I was it after the actual? Uh, is it a fabric? Is Angora sort of? <laughs> is it? A, is it a type of? I don't. What is it? Okay, so we looked online, and I don't know. I don't know if it was Webster's or whatever the fucking dictionary was, but somebody said something about Angora, and we're like, ah, blah, blah. so we looked up the definition, and it said long-haired, fluffy animal. That is true. And we go, okay, well, that kind of works. Do you know what I mean? But Gene's like, yeah, it's a fucking sweater. I don't care what the definition <laughs> says in the dictionary. It's a fucking sweater. Changing your name to eight ball. But we, when we found the thing, it said a long-haired, fluffy animal. And we're like, okay, well. See, that could have been hair. actually, like, you could have, you could have, the story could have ran, it's part of a girl's anatomy. You know, it's like sort of. Yes. Because that was it, back it, before it, everybody waxed. A little bit. It was right during that phase. It was it was yeah, the yeah. transitional phase. So it could have been a large furry animal. You know, it was definitely better than meat socket, whatever. But anyway. Was that one of the ones that left on the chopping block? <laughs> yes. Meat sock. Oh, I love it. Okay, so now that we're going into just... Uh, there's an Angora. Thank you very much, Vic Chalfont. That, that is how good our production staff is here. And when I say staff, I mean just Vic Chalfont because he's on the internet all the time. And I'm sure that came maybe through one of his porn searches, but that is an actual Angora, folks. So that's where John Karabi's uh, band was named out of. Now here comes another hardball question, and it's, I assure you it's not about Tommy's dick. This one is about, at some point, your name came Krabby. Again, yes. John Krabby, and then people just know you as Krabby. Can you give me the story behind that definition of Krabby and how it came about? Very, very easy. Um, <clears throat> Mick Mars being the linguist that he is. Um, <laughs> He used to just say to me, like, we'd be sitting in rehearsal and he would want to show me a guitar or a part or whatever. And he would go, hey, Karabi. And it went from, hey, Karabi, to, hey, Karab, to, hey, Crab. It just kind of morphed from Karabi to Karab to Crab. And, and then that was it. Once he said it, it stuck. The and evolution of John Karabi. The fans, the fans have been calling me that since 1993. And does, and it, does like, it have a different uh, sort of tone when you, across the world? Is like, you know, how would perhaps a European say Krabi, Krabi? Or maybe maybe Federica, who you met before the show, she would probably go Krabi, and she'd actually heighten the yeah. eye, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. You know what? I don't mind it. It's just weird. Like if, you know, you're meeting someone and, you know, you're sitting there talking to, you know, there was a few times, even on the boat, I was just sitting there talking to different people and somebody had come over and go, Hey crab. And then, you know, there was this one lady who was talking to me about jewelry and, you know, and, and she's like, why do they call you crabby? You know what? I don't even want to know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. You're but, far um, from crabby, though, dude. You've always had a very positive mindset. Unless you ask my wife. Then she goes, yeah, I, I see where you got the name, but whatever. Are you um, are you sort of crabby in the morning? No, I'm just quiet until I have my coffee, and then I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. Just leave me alone. Let me have some coffee first. But um, 
it, it's just really a name thing. Like Mick came up with the whole thing and, and at the, you know, he would go, Hey, Karabi. Hey, crab. And then somehow it just morphed into crab. And I mean, you know, team crab, whatever. Mick Mars, so, guitarist, linguist. Yes. Living legend. And that's a great picture of the two of you. Just He's probably yelling out Krabby right there. You know, that's where the <laughs> genesis <laughs> came of the name. Um, in that picture, it kind of brings up a band that we all love, uh, probably influenced by. But when I say the word the Beatles, what, uh, what do you think of? Genius. I mean, it still amazes me, dude. Like, I just watched that um, Peter Jackson, the Get Back series that they did. Um, Incredible. Hopefully they did it. Hopefully it was uh, available to you guys overseas as well. But, Absolutely. Um, you know, you sit there and you look at this, and you, and you can appreciate this as a songwriter and performer. Like, you just sit there and you watch the genius of them in the studio trying to put music together for a live broadcast or whatever. And obviously a lot of the material ended up being on Abbey road, but you just sit there and you look at it and you go, Holy shit. Like this is the end of their career. And you're like, they're all like 26, <laughs> 27, 28 years old. I don't even think any of them was 30 at that point. No, no. It was like an NFL and, career at that point. Being a rock yeah, musician like, was like, like being like a professional athlete where they didn't, nobody knew that you could go on to be, you know, 70 pushing on 80 years old, like the stones and Alice yeah, Cooper, my just, boss for instance. Yeah. It just amazed me. And then it was funny. Like I watched that and I started, you know, you get on Wikipedia and you start looking at different things. And I, I realized that some of the songs that George is playing on the, um, in that get back thing actually wound up on all things must pass. And it, so I looked up all things must pass and, and it's crazy to me. Like at that point it came out, I think in 1970 and triple album, he does this album and it's like, okay, I already did the Beatles. Now here's my solo shit. And then you look at how old he was when all things must pass come out. Yeah. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? No, no. He's 27 years old when all things must pass comes out. So like, you're like, like when, when, when it's basically considered past the heyday, but it's not because obviously they had huge solo careers to go. I mean, yeah. When you think about that, we were talking about that on the boat for, for they a minute were babies, or two. Dude. Those years, those late 60s years, it was like the White Album. Then right after the White Album, you have uh, the recording for what's going on with uh, this special, this Peter Brown special. And then um, then you have the Peter Jackson special, sorry. And then you have the um, all the sort of writing of what's going to eventually become Let It Abby Be Bill. or, you know, Let It Be, right? But then well, during that time, they're actually riffing around with Abbey Road, which yes. they would record later that year of filming that special. Later that year, it's Abbey Road. Then the year after that, it's, you know, get back. And then it's basically done at well, that that's point. The, that's the genius thing about it, because you watch the video and you go, like when they first go into the studio, they just have like ideas. They don't have songs. And it's like, okay, the Beatles need to, they, they need to write and record like 14 songs 
for this live broadcast. So they wrote the songs that eventually became the Let It Be album. I got a feeling. Uh, yeah, but Dig a Pony. Was whole, there was a whole other album's worth of shit. Like if you watch the end thing, they did the they did the live performance on the rooftop, and then they go back into the studio to finish the rest of the record, and it winds up being Abbey Road. And I'm you're like, it, it's yeah. just mind boggling to me genius. that they were able to be that 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 amount of it was just like genius from like the get go to right up to the end. And and then the crazy part is, is that they were all babies. They were all like in their <laughs> mid to late twenties at that point. You know, and like, surrounded oh, by complete lunacy, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're in the eye of the hurricane. And to think that, you know, in a lot of ways from watching that one black man who was amazing, amazing, amazing keyboard player, but just an amazing musician in general, Billy Preston kind of gets them all to fall in line a little bit just to be on enough good behavior. On, on good behavior. Yeah. Just good enough behavior that they can create, that they can put, pull this together. And that's uh, like, honestly, out of all the great music that Billy Preston's made over the years and everything that he's gone done to just for him to be able to come into that situation get the respect and pull them together and hold that whole ship together was an amazing to see. Cause I did, I never knew that story until I did watch the, the special. And well, and, and, and the funny thing is, um, you know, I, I was just, I just did an interview the other day with our buddy, Mr. Adika, but um, it, we were talking about that. And when we were doing the Motley record, uh, we had started recording in Vancouver and then we went back down to LA and we kind of set up shop at A&M. And so we were mixing, mastering, we were recording, like we're doing all this shit. And Glenn Hughes popped by. And great. so he walked into the studio and uh, the song Misunderstood was up on like the Studers. We had the, all these tape decks. And so Glenn, Glenn Hughes came by and we're sitting there bullshitting. He's listening to the new stuff and he goes, wow, this is really cool. This is great. Very, it's got this cool vibe to it. Um, so then Bob Rock goes, Hey, would you want to sing on something? And, th and this is what I was saying about the difference between old school guys, the guys that we grew up listening to and the, and the kids that are making music now. Okay. And Glenn Hughes goes into the studio I wrote out the lyrics for him. He puts the headphones on. He listened to Misunderstood once. And he goes, all right, I, I got, got it. This. He's, got this. Yeah, he's kind of following along with the lyrics. And blah, blah, blah. So then Bob goes in, starts the song at the beginning, get, hits record. Glenn does a pass from top to bottom. And then he goes back again. He goes one for good measure. And he did it again. And all the vocals that you hear on the song Misunderstood was Glenn Hughes, like, one take. That's so sad. then we're sitting there. We're sitting there, and we had another song called Baby Kills that um, kind of had a little bit of a funk thing to it, very Zeppelin-y. And we wanted Clavinet on it. So, uh, we, obviously, we're sitting there. Who could we get to play Clavinet? Let's call Stevie Wonder. Well, Stevie wasn't available, and I don't know if it was me. Somebody said, well, what about Billy Preston? Get the hell out. 
no, check it out, dude. So he like, so we call him, Hey, would you want to come in and play on this track? So he goes, I'll be there tomorrow. He comes in, he set up his little keyboard, plugged it in and same thing, listen to the track and immediately got a vibe. And he just started playing clavinet and he plays clavinet on this track for us. But then me, Tommy, Nikki, Bob Rock, we're all sitting there. We're fanboying out like we're <laughs> a bunch of little schoolgirls. <clears throat> and we go, hey, dude, um, do you think you could play the keyboard solo from Get Back? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sits down at the keyboard and he like thinks. He's been asked that probably as many times as you've been asked yeah. how big Tommy's dick is. So let's be honest. Exactly. And. <laughs> Dude, he fucking played that solo like note for note. And we were like, holy shit, there it is. And then I go, dude, could you play circles? And he starts, we'll go around in circles. <laughs> and he just started playing it and singing it to us. And we were like, oh, this is insane. I was going to say that, that Glenn Hughes was the Billy Preston of Motley Crue, but I've just been corrected because Billy Preston was, was the, the Billy, Billy Preston Pre of Motley Crue. I love that story. And you know what? What are you going to do? I mean... Nicest guy on the planet. He he answered. He sat there with us for two hours. And we just said, oh, what was John Lennon like? What was Paul McCartney like? What, you know, blah, blah, blah. how about, you know, Mick Jagger? And, and he was just... He just sat there. We had some coffee. And he just bullshitted with us, played some stuff. He sang some stuff. And then he left, and we were like, me and Tommy were literally sitting there pinching our face, like, did that just fucking happen, dude? We had Billy fucking Preston play on our track. Well, How awesome is that? And just the fact that you had, you know, Glenn Hughes come in and sing it two takes, it reminds me a lot of the story when we had Steve, you know, from the original Alice Cooper band. Uh, yep. Steve came in and played the solo for, um, uh, what was it, uh, Train Kept a Rowan, the whole Aerosmith yeah. story. And he came two passes. That's all he took as well. So is that, is, is that the magic number with all these old school guys? I don't know, dude, but it's just, it's, it's a whole other level of, you know, it's funny. I just had this kid, you know, no disrespect, but this kid came to me and he goes, Hey man, when you record your vocals, do you run it through auto tune? And I'm like, no, no. Why would I do that? And he goes, well, how do you do your vocals? And I go, well, I just step up to the microphone and I sing it until I fucking get it right. Yeah. Like, you know. And I usually I sing it in key from the beginning. Well, you try to. And then, you know, there's some bum notes in there every now and then. And if it's if it's nothing crazy, if there's just a little sharp or flat, I'll leave it. I'm like, I like the human part of it. But I just try to get in the zip code, bro. Like, I, I don't use fucking, auto, I don't like using auto pitch. Now I give the shit to Marty, and if he wants to run shit through there, I don't know if he does or not. But I'm like, I don't want to fucking use it. I'm just singing. Perfect and segue, man. You know what? That and that is our soundbite of the of the podcast so far. I just tried to get it in the zip code, bro. Is that? What that, is? <laughs> that you know, just get it close. I mean, if you listen to some of that, even the Beatles stuff, if you isolate their vocals, not they're perfect. not perfect no and zeppelin like robert plant hit some janky fucking notes and you know leave him man that's the beauty right. we're human 
you know, we're not always fucking right. So I just leave shit in there. Whatever. The band that you, the band that you were in, Molly Crew, the first album, Too Fast for Love. Thank God he sang the way he did because it wouldn't have been that album unless he sang a quarter pitch off and they had to put the harmonizer on it and because it, it created a whole vibe and a sound from that i i and, and that's the thing i get it like at at the end of the day vince neal does have he he is a very distinguishable sound of a band that sold a lot of records i, I get it like nobody needs to give me a history lesson i understand that i lived it you know what i mean but um you know I, I've never said that I was better than or Vince is better than or whatever. And Vince and I are actually friends. Um, at the end of the day, we're different from each other. So um, I don't know what his deal is, but when I sing, like I said, I just try to get it in the zip code, yeah. you know, just get it close. But never forget that band. You're part of that legacy as well. And and, and I know you don't forget that, but but people should always remember you're part of the legacy, just like, you know, just as an important part of the legacy, just like any other member of that band. So uh, I'm, kudos I'm to fine you. Being the asterisk, I'm fine being the asterisk next to their name. That's, that's fine. <laughs> not, uh, not, not, not in many people's minds, not in my mind for sure. But I want to get back to another great band, the Beatles, because that comes almost full circle to what you are doing now. Because when you played for me just a couple of weeks ago, we were on the Monsters of Rock cruise and uh, you are the mayor of Monsters of Rock. So I was thankful to be in your office which was basically your, <laughs> your small cabin just like all of us had small cabins by the way it still hurts when i sit thank you very much <laughs> but anyway we were talking about uh you know he said hey man let me play you some of my new stuff and immediately when i heard uh cozy belly cozy bella i don't know how to pronounce it i'm not italian like you and federica and everybody cozy bella i will say i'll try to pronounce that right um but that song had a distinct Beatles feel to it for me. Now, was yeah. there any Beatles uh, sort of influence that you drew from it? I, absolutely. I mean, when, when I, it's funny, I had that riff for a while and I actually submitted it when I was doing the last Dead Daisies record, Burn It Down. And it was so out of our wheelhouse. Everybody was like, ah, I don't know, dude, I'm not, I'm not hearing it. Um, so I just saved it. I played it for Marty Fredrickson. Um, and I, Marty's like, well, what are, you, what are you hearing? And honestly, I was like, I'm kind of hearing a cross between Penny Lane. It's just got that bounce. Well, Penny Lane. Dun, 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 and then dun. also yeah. Killer Queen by Queen. Um, probably my favorite Queen song ever. So... I, I, it, now, it's funny, during the whole COVID experience, I was very upset with myself because I've done, um, God, I'm probably, you know, right now I'm working on a solo record, so it's probably my 15th or 16th record. Um, but I was upset because I'm like, man, my entire life just got put on hold. The recording process, right. the live shows. So I took Pro Tool classes, I'm still very caveman about it, but I took the Pro Tools classes. And then once I kind of figured out a little bit on how to do shit, I sat down and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to demo this song up so that my manager and Marty knows exactly what I'm talking about. So I did all the keyboards, 
all the bass. The, I did MIDI nice. drums, all the guitars. I sang it. I had some buddies come over. We did all the backing vocals, and I just sent him the files. And as soon as he heard it, he went, I get it. Now, the funny thing is, everybody goes, ah, it's a really cool tune. Not what I would have expected from you, but I'm like, which is kind of weird to me. Yeah. Because I go, if you listen to any interview I've done since the Scream days, I've always said my first biggest influence was the Beatles. Yeah. And if, uh, if anyone's come to any of our shows together that we've played or any of the nights that they can remember at uh, the Cat Club, you're, would all, you would always come up for um, Oh Darling. And that oh, was your... I mean, I, in fact, Oh Darling's become a little bit of your cat call, if you will. That one, and, and we used to do... And actually, we recorded it with the Dead Daisies, too. We did uh, uh, Helder Skelder... Um, you know, but I, I love the Beatles. I love Zeppelin. And I was trying to figure out a way, like, okay, how can I take this thing and this thing? Or, like, now I think Aerosmith's done a pretty good job. They, like, Aerosmith is is kind of that mold where they've taken, like, old blues and, like, what a funk. And, and then they put it together. Melodic, beatle stuff. Yeah, yeah, he comes up with these Beatlesque harmonies and all that other shit. So I'm trying to... You know, take the stew, put a bunch of shit in it, mix it up, and just put out whatever. Um, you know, but it, it, it's funny. I mean, Cassibel did well. It's it's doing okay on the streaming and download sites. You know, but well, see that um, the, the way you describe it is that's a really good uh, mix that you have with Cassibella, and then the the other end is the newest single that just came out your own worst enemy because that has a different feel a different flavor to it and we're going to talk all about that uh coming up we're going to take a small break because there's so much to talk about with you john karabi but you know there's a lot of people that have been interactive this week uh dming me and 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 posting up wanting to ask questions so basically the second half of our show is going to be a lot of uh, guest questions, if you will, plus a couple cool, fun things. So if you are hanging out with us on the in the trenches, uh, we have John Karabi, uh, lead singer of his own project right now and his own uh, solo stuff as well. You might have heard him in Motley Crue, The Scream, Dead Daisies. There's so many to choose from, which we're going to have a little bit of game. But first, we're going to have a quick quick commercial and you know what Vic this is your choice which one of our sponsors do you want to promote because I'm speaking out of the buyer dynamic stuff um, but and I'm wearing the uh, click glasses so let's go click what do you say we'll see you in two minutes and two seconds hello Roxy Guitar Army for those of you that have been faithfully following the podcast you may have noticed that recently I've been changing up my eyewear from week to week and today we are happy to announce that click eyewear is now an official sponsor of the in the trenches podcast You've even given us a special discount code that we can now pass on to our supporters. Click has provided me with both readers and blue blocker protection eyewear that are durable, stylish, and convenient. What sets them apart from the rest of the reader world? The catch is in the click. They are the world's first magnetic reader, which makes them hard to lose and even harder to break. If you're interested in getting a pair or two of your own, check out the discount link located in the description. Never lose your readers again. Because with Click Eyewear, they're always around you. Now let's get back into the trenches and back to some more rock and roll. And welcome back to In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. John, do your glasses do that? Do they? Do no, they, they, do they? don't. <laughs> I'm, 
you know, that's kind of cool, man. I, I, you know what? I'm just kind of sitting here going, wow, you got sponsors and shit. This is big time, bro. <laughs> you know what? Can I use that as a soundbite for our sponsor? It's kind of cool, Absolutely. man. <laughs> kind of cool from John Karabi. <laughs> Let's get into it now because honestly, folks, um, there is so much to talk about. All your questions are coming, but first, I thought I'd like to play a game to catch up our audience. Of course, they know all the bands you've been in, but do you know all the bands you've been in, John? Because we are going to play a quick game of fuck, marry, or kill. So check it out. Uh, Vic's going to put up a uh, site there. Those are all the bands, or pretty much I thought that I could track down. Maybe there's more. There's a lot of them right there. Uh, Which band would you fuck? Which band would you marry? Which band would you kill? John wow. Karabi. <laughs> you talk about, okay, dude, this is seriously baiting big it's, time. It's um, not baiting because fuck could be a good thing. It's not a bad thing in this situation. Okay. F is like, like, like I, I enjoy being in that band. I enjoyed having sex with that band. And not literally, but figuratively. Right. Um, okay. Like, only because it was complete lunacy the whole time and there was definitely a lot of things to fuck around i'll say motley crew f okay which would could be fun could be used as a a, a fun thing to do yeah uh let me see um i'm gonna go with kill angel city outlaws yeah, very nice. Kill a, the magic hat and everything, which was, a, I, I actually played one gig with you in the Angel City Outlaws. Hopefully it wasn't that experience that did it, but it might have been. So the last one would be. And there's, and there's a reason why you only did one. <laughs> um, and, and that's why I'm, I'm going to kill that one because I kind of forgot that I even did that. Um, and then, you know what? It's all about new times, new days, new ways, uh, new music. So I'm going to marry the John Karabi solo shit. I love it. There you go. Another. We don't get very many artists on here that can play Fuck, Mary Kill the way you just did. And that was amazing. So there it is. Los Angeles, Mary. See, Federica. She that That's uh, Federica who has done such a great job compiling so much of the information. You were able to talk to her before the podcast started. She did love the, uh, the Los Angeles. Here's the thing about the Los Angeles. And Federica pointed. She didn't see him with me, though. Huh? She saw him with you. That's the thing. We are the sun and the moon of Lost Angels. She had she explained to me that last night. When I mean, what do you mean by we're the sun of the moon of Lost Angels? She goes, well, the two of you are like the sun and the moon. You don't appear on the stage together, but you're in the same band. We're so- in the same universe. <laughs> So at one point we have to rectify that situation. Uh, John and I have played gigs together. We've done many, many, many a show together uh, at the Cat Club. We've done the the, the Lost Angels, which apparently John wants to kill. And um, what else did we do? We wrote a song together that appeared on a soundtrack. Uh, something we junk, did? junk fest. It was a horror. It was a horror movie. I think it was Calico Cooper's first horror movie. It was uh, the song. It was a riff that you and I wrote called Psycho Killer. You brought over a riff and we made a... You didn't refer 
refresh my memory, bro, because I don't I don't remember this at all. <laughs> I'll I'll send you a copy. Well, I can't send you a, a, a digital file because it, it was only released on video. Like much of eighties, nineties porn, it was it, it went straight to DVD, I believe. So and uh, we never well, it went somewhere. No, not that DVD. Not that DVD. Hold on, <laughs> it was a different one. But the thing is, yes, I, I it was called Junk Foods Horror Fest, Calico Cooper's first um film that she ever acted in and it was a horror movie and uh, i'll tell you more about it going back you to know, you said you're i've been so bad i've been so bad with i'm just now kind of going through like with bmi and sound exchange and all these things and i'm kind of going through my entire catalog my friend tammy who i'm helping move mm-hmm is trying to help me out with this. All right. And it's weird. Like there are literally like, I completely forgot. It's not in my library, but I wrote a song with a band that was on Epic records or uh, whatever years ago, a band called Cinder road. And I wrote a song for them. That was like the first single from the record or whatever, completely forgot about it. Like, and it's, it's so it's funny. I look in my library on BMI and I'm like, what the hell is, what is this? Like, I mean, so then I have to look I, it up on YouTube and listen to it again and go, oh shit. Yeah. I'm I trying did. to think of what cinder is because it has sort of an Angora effect. Is cinder like a, a cinder block, right? I guess. So I guess, it would be yeah. a road made out of cinder blocks and cinder, I, I would assume, is a material. Yeah. But the singer, the singer, uh, it's a guy, this guy named Mike. Um, he came to Nashville and uh, contacted me about writing a song with him. We sat down, we wrote this song in like one session, wrote the lyrics, and then he went and recorded it and put it on this record that came out all around the world. And I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck? Like, I completely forgot about that song. You know what I mean? It's weird. And you, my friend, are probably one of the reasons why I'm in Nashville. If you remember, we did that thing in Destin, Florida together. It was With a Steve Cropper. wasn't a, it was a golf. I'm golf I'm always tournament. trying. It was a golf tournament. We were called the Hillary Duffers. Do you remember that? That was the name of our band. Yes. yes. And that was put. That was uh, masterminded, I believe, by uh, in the trenches alumni, amazing great drummer Mike Fasano. That's right, fan favorite yes. Mike Fasano. He he masterminded. Yeah, we did this. Thing. Now it's weird how this works out, but. I went down, we did that thing together. And then remember we jammed, we did, Oh, darling, and a couple things. And, you know, I was clueless and this guy comes on stage with us. We did that dinner thing. Remember the dinner thing? Absolutely. How are your salads? Said, yeah. Can I play, can I play with you guys? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? You're like, bro, that's Steve Cropper. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay, cool. So he came up. We he did kind of like, wrote he kind of wrote sitting under the dock of the bay, right? Yes, <laughs> and um he invited me to Nashville to write with some other people. So I went and I wrote a couple times and then I went, I fucking love it here. Um, this is great, you know, blah blah blah. And then fast forward, my wife now, Debbie, um, I'm talking, I'm telling a story about how we all went and did this golf tournament, blah, blah, blah. Steve Azar was there and Steve Cropper. And my wife goes, I was there. I was there. there." And I go, what? She goes, yeah, there was uh, 
some band, like some band was playing and they did Walk This Way with Daryl from Run DMC. <laughs> and I me. go, that was us. <laughs> and she couldn't believe it. Like we were like five feet away from each other That's and didn't funny. meet. And then we wound up meeting in, uh, we wound up meeting in Nashville once I moved there. It's crazy. That, I've never heard this story before. This is uh, Hillary Duffer gossip that I think you'd never, ever expect to hear on In the Trenches. But that leads me to you being in Nashville because you kind of are old school rocker Nashville. I'm not going to go back and say country Nashville because that goes back decades. But there did seem to be this pilgrimage Oh pilgrimage God. of a lot of Los Angeles people. And I thought about this before we were doing our interview today. I was like going, maybe, and you said something just a couple minutes ago. You said, uh, in some weird way, I was part of your journey to Nashville. But yeah. when I got up and left out of Dodge and moved to Stockholm, I know there was a lot of mumblings like, because there was, you know, what the hell is he leaving this city? This is where everything's happening. But shortly thereafter, a lot of people started getting the hell out of Dodge. You were early on it. How do you feel about people now that are moving into Nashville just these last couple of years? Well, it's, you know, to be honest with you, it's really, uh, it's helping our property value. Debbie and I own a home and then we have, like she has a hair salon and she's actually renting it to a skincare place right now. Um, so the property value, her commercial property and our home, the values are going through the roof. The thing that's annoying now is that Nashville is turning into like a mini Atlanta. So explain, I used to be able to, I used to be able to travel from one side of the city to the other in like 20 minutes. Now it's like, you can't go from, one side of the city to the other it takes you like an hour and a half. And I'm, I'm really starting to lose my patience with it. You know what I mean? So um, I'm kind of looking at other places now, maybe Florida, Montana, wh whatever. I'm just looking for anywhere, but. Um, Crabby's you know. looking for the new Nashville, which is the old Los Angeles, which is the old, I don't know. Let's, let's just go back it, for, for rock and rollers. There you are once again being a pioneer, but yeah, and it's, and it's weird now. It's like when I moved there, um, the guys in Cinderella, Tom Kiefer is really the pioneer. He, He's been he there for there a long and time, and and hasn't uh, the singer the singer of, of Slaughter as well. Mark Slaughter has been there for a while. Tom was the first. Okay, and now when I moved there, it was like three of the four guys from Cinderella. And like Mark Slaughter, um, a few guys. Well, come on, Ryan now, Cook and Jeremy Asbrook, they've been like, uh, I think they were born and raised there. If they weren't, well, they, they, they Jeremy was born and raised. Ryan's from Kansas City. Um, oh, that's right. Don't remind me. He likes the Chiefs, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went LA to Nashville, like whatever. And I, I, I don't know when he moved. I kind of think that he came after I was there, but. Now it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, it's, you know, well, Jeff Labar has unfortunately passed away, but oh, you Jeff. have, yeah. you know, Tom Kiefer, Eric Brittingham. Got our uh, very own Chuck Garrick lives there. Yeah. Chuck Garrick. You have Brad Whitford, Derek St. Holmes, Steven Tyler, uh, Rachel Bolin, Mick Mars, Vince Neal, um, Tom Peterson, like 
all these people have migrated. Uh, Troy Lucetta from Tesla, um, Dave Mustaine, thank you. Um, it, there's a ton of rock people in Nashville now, so which is cool because you know before I would go to a club or I would go to a bar and it was like you know these guys playing kind of honky tonk or country western shit, but now it's like it's just so random. <laughs> now they're like, all playing the international know, set list. Hey, do you know T Rex? Of course we know Twentieth Century Boy. <laughs> Yeah, or or it's like you know they'll they'll go from like you know Garth Brooks to Foreigner, Hot Blooded. You're like what? Like you know, so it's 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 awesome. It's just that there's when I moved there, I think the population was a little under seven hundred thousand, and literally I've been there for fifteen years now, and it's now we're looking at two million. Holy shit! So, you are, yeah, you know what? You're not the Donner party. You're the Karabi party. And you didn't have to eat your own on the way there. Or did you? I'm not against that. I'm <laughs> just saying if, if it creates a little space, whatever. But. Well, here we go. I mean, I wanted to talk real quick. I mean, I hope you have a little bit of time because, damn it, you're not just a musician. You're also an author. And you put together uh, your autobiography, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, which is obviously one of the best uh, sayings that uh, we grew up with. You know, what's close? Horseshoes and hand grenades. Uh, why the title? Why the uh, autobiography now? Because it seems as though you are just starting a, a whole new solo career. Was it a way of closing up one end to open up another? Or how did this whole book, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, come about? You know, it, it was weird. Uh, I didn't really want to do... I, I started this book like, God, when I lived in LA and then it was weird. It was one of those things where I started writing it and then I was like, I redid it. And then I started writing it with another guy and then I redid it. And, and it was getting to the point where as I was trying to get my book together, every musician on the planet was putting a book out and even to the point where I did a Kiss uh, Expo and there were some guys that were like, they were like roadies for Kiss in the 70s that they wrote a book. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. Now I kind of feel like I'm jumping on a bandwagon or, you know, before when I was talking about doing it, I was You like, were pre-slash, you know, but you, but, but by the time it was yeah. post-slash. Biography. Yeah. So now it's like, I was like, you know, so anyway, in 2019, I left the daisies. I went down to Australia and I did four or five shows down there. And this gentleman named Paul Miles, who has a Motley site called Chronological Crew. He was talking to me and we were telling stories and different shit. And, and, and he goes, you know what, Crabby he goes, I, I know you're in the book, The Dirt. And, you know, but he said, you're still kind of like even though you told your story, you're still kind of an enigma that a lot of people don't know a lot about. I think you should do a book. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Well, he finally eventually talked me into it and we did this book and, uh, and I'm, you know, now in, in hindsight, I'm kind of glad that I did. So it's going to hopefully close some things from the past, put them to bed, and but the other thing is the title, oddly enough, came from my father, who unfortunately passed away in 2014. And 
my dad had this weird sense of humor, like very dry. And even when I was doing union, I said something to him, like, you know, I know I did Motley and I know I did the scream, but you know, this band union that dad, it's, it's really getting a lot of, you know, we're getting some great feedback. A lot of people are excited about it. And I said, I think this might be the band. This might be the one that puts me over the top. I think my ship has finally come in. And you didn't fuck, marry, or kill that band at all. So that they they they, are, they remain they're, they're unscathed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my dad, just as dry as dry could be, I said, I think my ship's finally come in. And I could hear my dad on the other one. He takes a puff of a cigarette and he goes, yeah, well, if your ships come in, just don't be at the fucking airport. <laughs> and I went, okay. That should have so been I- the title. <laughs> that could have been the title as well. Your dad no, is amazing no, no. to come up with titles. Come on. Yeah. If your so ship hasn't come dad- in, you better not be at the airport. Yeah. So I go, I go, you know, 10 years later and I did my acoustic record in 2012 and obviously anybody that has it knows that i did half the record i took and i reworked these old songs and i did acoustic versions of them and then the other half of the record was all new shit um and i'm telling my dad about it and he's like oh you know i really like when you do the acoustic thing i can understand everything you're singing and and he's going on and on and on and uh, I said, well, I recorded it at my house with some friends. We mixed it, mastered it. Record labels got it. I just got to come up with a name for it. And he goes, well, what are you thinking? And I said, well, you know, the old stuff that's on the record, I'm thinking about calling it John Karabi's Almost Greatest Hits. And then he goes, or you could just call it Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. <laughs> And I was a little put off. I go, your dad's a muse. He's a, he was yeah, a muse. Go, what does yeah. that mean? He goes, you know, horseshoes, hand grenades. You don't got to be on the money. You just got to be close. Got to be in the zip code. Baby. Like, so I wrote it down and I said, you know what? Someday I'm going to do a fucking record or something. And that's the coolest fucking title I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to do a, a record or something and call it horseshoes and hand grenades. And then after doing the book, going through it, you know, because Paul would write, we would do interviews, Paul would write uh, everything down, he would send it to me, then I would edit everything, send it back, and we did this like five or six times, and the more I wrote everything, I realized that I'm the king of being at the right place, but always at the wrong time, Eventually, whether it's, it's marriages or whatever, <laughs> So, hey, you know, that's another, in, that's another fucking title, John. Right place, wrong time. I love yeah, that. So I just sat there and I go, we pitched the book. We got a publishing deal. We signed the contract. And they said, well, what do you want to call the book? And I go, it's got to be horseshoes and hand grenades. I have been close my whole career. And that's that's my story. I'm the guy that's been close not quite the household name yet. So, and as soon as they heard poster it, they child. Went, poster genius. child for in the trenches, dude. You are our poster child, uh, along with many of us that have been in those trenches, and that's what you have been. But you're, you know what? Look, people love you. People um, are always giving you praise, rolling it down. The book is expected to be released in the mid June era. Is that what we're looking well, at? Still on Rarebird, could... rec- on Rarebird, yeah, Rarebird books. Only- 
it's on rare bird books. Uh, that's, that's the book and it's in the nutshell, but, um, I think what they did is they allowed themselves a little bit of a window. I think they're shooting for like late April, May. Okay. But due to COVID, like trying to get shit printed and buy paper and ink and, you know, all this shit, they're, they're, they gave themselves a little bit of an, uh, of a little window. cushion. So, so, yeah, so by, by the mid June, it should be out for the masses. Yeah. And of course, if anybody wants to check all this stuff out, we're going to have links and all the things to check out and, uh, find out more about John Karabi a little bit later. Um, the only thing left to cover before people take over and let the people speak is the new single because it's really cool that in conjunction with this book that you have coming out, you have just released uh, your newest single that, again, has a spectrum to uh, Cosibella, which is your own worst enemy. And, again, you've collaborated uh, with your producer. I want you to tell the whole story about you know how you have collaborated and how this song came about and uh, where people can check it out. Well, it, it's, it's pretty Marty, much right? the song is out now. It's on all the streaming uh, download sites. It's out there electronically. I'm eventually what I'm doing now. And, and Marty was Marty Fredrickson. For That's your producer. Yeah. Yes. He was kind of the catalyst for me doing it this way. Cause initially I, I wanted to do an album and Marty was like, you know, he's like, dude, people like are not really buying records like they used to. So attention span too. Attention he, span, man. It's a, exactly. It's, it's this, dude. It's this. It's the damn phone. Yeah. So he goes, do a song, do a video, let it sit for a couple months. Do another song, another video, let it sit for a couple months. While you're getting and figuring out the best ten songs to put on this record. And I said, all right, cool. So we started doing this and um, there's more music to come. I've got it. I've got a bunch of stuff already recorded. Um, you know, now it's like we're already going to start working on the, the mix and master of the next tune. But um, uh, the song was a riff that I had. It was so simple. It's like a really simple guitar riff. And it, it just kind of had a Zeppelin-y vibe. Um Played it for Marty. He didn't, again, didn't quite understand at first, but I recorded it at my house. And then once he realized the direction I was going in it, um, he's like, all right, cool. He gave me some suggestions musically. I, you know, so I put, I basically mapped out the song. Um, I did all the guitars. I recorded everything at my house, the vocals. Then I had my good friend, uh, Paul Taylor, Came in Love and from, from the band Winger. We 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 we, yes. came, we hear it in the trenches. We never take an op, We never miss an opportunity to drop a name. That's Paul Taylor from the band Winger, who is also Alice Cooper alumni, and we'll probably get yes. him on the podcast and at one point too. We have Paul came in. He played great clavinet because I wanted that kind of that trampled underfoot vibe or something. Right. Um. So he played clavinet and some B three, and we did that, and then I. I sent all the files to Marty and then he tweaked. Now what I do is I normally record the drums on like a MIDI track, like a keyboard. And then we send it to Marty and, you know, we'll either have my son Ian play drums or Marty's son, Evan play drums. And then we get the separation, the real drums and all that other stuff. And then we mix master and put it out. It's very cool. That is a little sidebar that your son 
is playing drums with you, and he's in the video, right? Uh, for Cassiabella. Yeah. I haven't done a video yet. The video that I'm doing, I'm not really going to do a performance thing on the lyrics or or, or or on your own worst enemy. I'm doing kind of a lyric video, but with some images that I think are unfortunately very prevalent right now. Um, so uh, a lot of people have asked. Now, it's funny. I just, a fan just sent me a post yesterday. There's a fucking website that, said that John Karabi releases a scathing, scorching new song <laughs> written about Vince Neil. And I go, where the fuck are they getting this shit from? Like, it's so You sure that wasn't the Adika me. interview? Come on, man. No, no, no. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's just a bullshit thing. So wait a second, was, was it all for clickbait? So this song, that, so they were, they were insinuating that basically you wrote this song, Your Own Worst Enemy, about Vince, about Vince but it, yeah. it's not about that. What it's about? No. I'm glad you're coming clean about this and coming clear. It, it's it's not. It, it's basically it's going to be a lyric video, and the the song in itself. Yeah, you know, I mean, it could be like, and we've all had those friends, Ryan. You know as well as I do. Like some friends that are just, you know, whether it's drinking or drugs or whatever. It's just like they you're keep doing shit. Over and over and over and over and over again, thinking that they're going to have a different outcome, and they don't. But in all honesty, the song is just about human nature. How, uh, you know, we just constantly repeat shit over and over and over again, and we just can't get out of our own way. Hence, I don't want to go too crazy. No, but, but this exactly week's what's events. Happening, yeah. What's happening in Ukraine right now, everybody's talking about you know, the Putin thing, it's, and they're like, they're likening it to 1939 Adolf Hitler invading Poland. And I'm just sitting there going, here we go. It's like, we are, and I just say you're, but we are our own worst enemy. We cannot get out of our way. So that's what the song's about. I don't know where they got Vince Neil, but. Well, hey man, they probably clickbaited themselves all the way to oblivion. But you know, one yeah. thing I realized as we were talking about this, both you and I, my friend, we have borrowed each other's song titles <laughs> because as we were thinking about this, I just realized my band before it was, I think it was Dad's Porno Mag or right around that. Yes, it was Dad's Porno Mag with Mike Fasano, the great Mike Fasano, and of course, Will Efforts on bass and Stefan Adika eventually on bass. That band had a song called Man in the Moon which was a scream song. And yes. we obviously came after that. But on this, I guess the, I think it was the Dirty Diamonds album of Alice Cooper. There was a song called Your Own Worst Enemy that Alice and I wrote together. They got put out. I'm sure, you know, the song titles, you can't, there's a million song titles that are the same. But your, your new single, You, obviously ripped off from Alice Cooper. And, exactly. uh, <laughs> and, and it was a toss-up between Sandra Bullock or Pigeons or Rude, but whatever. Do I'm you want to go there? You're married. It's a great story. I don't know. No, you know what? That'll that'll have to save time for next. For, for, it's in the book. Is it? The Sandra Bullock? I, oh, Sandra, B. Bit, Sandra yeah. Bullock, one of my favorite actresses of all time. 
my wife is going to give me shit because she's blonde and, and Sandra Bullock looks nothing like her. And so that's fine. But it's like, yeah, Sandra B., what, what, what a great girl. And uh, I know you know more than that, but uh, what a great story. And you'll, you'll have to buy the book to hear the whole entire story because we don't have time for that here at In the Trenches because now it's time for letting the people speak. These are your questions, folks. Are you ready, Vic? Put Let the people speak on. So there you go. It's not it's it's not just letting the people speak. It's celebrity people speaking. But I I, I will say this: the overwhelming question that everybody was asking, DMing me, putting up on the post, um, and so many people wrote a similar type of question. So I can't put all their names on, but it was. So many people want to know your thoughts on being in Motley Crue. And I said that you've already had a great attitude about it in it always, but I think you might've answered it earlier, but you know, your thoughts on being on Motley Crue, being in Motley Crue. You know, I, I, I really don't. I, I, somebody just asked me this the other day. Like, they're like, Hey, do you get along with the guys? Do you still talk with them. And I, I do. I still text Tommy on a somewhat regular basis. Mick, when I see Vince, everything's fine. Um, the only one that I really have, and I don't have an issue with is Nikki. He seems to have an issue with me and, and and it's okay, fine, whatever. Um, but why? I I, I, I mean, I've talked to Nikki, I've talked to you. You guys are both, you know, uh, reasonable guys. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't, nor do I care. It's, it's okay. If right. that's how he wants things to be, okay, no sweat, no big deal. All I know is that um, I, I'm very proud of the music that I wrote with those guys. And if I can be blunt, like I really feel that me having been in Motley Crue, I was there for almost five years, um, has actually given me a little longevity, I think, in in my career as well. Part of the like, legacy, baby. Part you know, of the legacy. And, and it and it's and it's it's weird. Like I'm very blessed. I, I I thought about this the other day. Like, how many people do we know that are sitting in their garage that are ten times a guitar player you are, ten times the vocalist I am, but they never get that opportunity to put their shit on tape and let the world hear it. And personally, me, I got a do a record deal with the Scream. I had one with Motley. I had one with Union. I had one with the Dead Daisies. And I'm I'm still doing records yep. in a solo career. So Molly completely I, poached you, didn't they? They completely poached you from the scream, didn't they? they yeah, to. it was. You know, I just got this random phone call. Who knew? You know what I mean? You know, ultimately, I wish I was sitting here talking about the 18th Scream album. <laughs> but you know, I don't I don't whine about shit. I'm not trying to complain like. You know, people, another thing is that people go, why, why were you in so many bands? We don't have a map. We don't have a crystal ball. It's just the cards that I was dealt and I played them the best that I could. And there's a and, song on the first Cheap Trick record called He's a Whore, which I have taken upon myself to translate that into being in bands, as many bands as I've been into. <laughs> but you, you know what, honestly, Ryan, and again, like when you get into a relationship with a woman, you know, you go in thinking, oh, my God, this is the one. When you get into a band, you're like, oh, yeah, I can totally picture myself 20 years from now just, you know, 
playing Nebworth Festival and just calling it a day, whatever. But it, it like, who knew I was going to get a call from Motley? Who knew that Motley was going to bring Vince back? Who knew that, you know, when I was doing Union, that Bruce and I would get a phone call to join Rat and Grand Funk Railroad? And, and it's just been that, it's been the, the cards that I was dealt. So I just play them the best I can. Um, I'm just grateful to still be here you know, talking to you and you're a survivor, and, uh, man. And, and we've had a history even before we've been friends. I mean, I don't know if you re if you remember, we didn't have a chance to talk so much on that Motley Crue Gilby Clark tour, which we supported you guys for a bunch mm -hmm. of shows. I, I mean, you kind of you were taking care of your voice. I realized that it was a really dark time. I remember for Nikki and and uh, and Tommy and, and and Nikki's bus was all you know had a lot of vibe to it, a lot of darkness and stuff. So we kind of were just that support band. But I I will always remember that tour for being one of those things that you know we were we saw the transition coming. From because this was like right after grunge had taken you know complete control of the of the music industry, but there was still an audience and, and a strong audience for rock, which again, you know, years later would would come back tenfold because now what is it? Grunge is the new classic rock in in many many ways. Pretty much, yeah. You know, but you know it's funny. Like when I see Ryan Roxy, I I will always think of Salt and Pepper conquering Scandinavia. And uh, I will always remember standing in an HMV with the god awful plaid pants. H and M, H and M, or was an H? It was H and M. Yeah. And I will literally sit there going, "What fucking idiot would buy these fucking pants? They're horrid. These are oh my god!" And then somebody tapping me on the shoulder. You were Alice Cooper. He's like, "I bought all four. It distracts my <laughs> golf opponents." I'm like, wah, wah, wah. That's right. You know what? Gunfight, Nomia. We were called the Salt and Pepper Shakers because we were on tour together, Alice Cooper, and you were playing guitar in Rat, which is just another one of those bands that you, you know, easily you could have taken over lead vocal positions, but you were honking down and holding down the foundation of uh, the rhythm guitar and, um, of course, adding all your background vocals too but i do remember that tour we actually had a band together very short-lived time called the star fuckers no no no, no. And, uh, the wait. swedish meatballs, oh, meatballs. <laughs> it, <laughs> yes. it was a tour exactly. of scandinavia and it was just we, we we called ourselves the swedish meatballs i think we played one or two shows together until john started a riot in the north of Sweden, I don't know if you remember, it was either Lulio or Umeå. It was kind of Umeå. close, close yeah. to the North Pole. John Krabby, this peace-going dude, as you can see, you know, peace, love, and, and fucking Bobby Sherman, he started this huge, almost street brawl. Do you remember that? <laughs> Until they started firing a gun, <laughs> then we all scattered like How like did rats. it start? How did that riot start? I don't remember. If you remember, we were in the club, and there was like an after party. You know, it was like, you know, if you if you wear your Alice Cooper, Dio, or Rat laminate, you can, there's an after party in this club. So we all go to the club, we're hanging out, and uh, I went outside to like to smoke a cigarette 
I walk outside, Teddy Zigzag is leaning against the wall. He can't get in. So I'm smoking a cigarette and I'm Teddy's like, yeah, man, I've been trying to get in for a half an hour, but this guy won't let me in. I go, hold on. I'll be right back. Let me go get Steve, your sound guy. Um, yes. Who member. eventually became our, our, our uh, tour manager. Yes. Right. So I go, let me get Steve. Steve Toth. Yeah. Oh my I'll bring God. him out. And uh, so I go, I go, I try to go in and the door guy clotheslined me and like knocked me on my ass. And he's like, sorry, no wins and outs. I go, motherfucker, I was just in there. Like I just, my friend here from Guns N' Roses and Alice Cooper band, he's trying to, and you know, Carol and, and Carol King, don't forget Carol King. Yeah, and he, he was just trying to. He, the guy was just being an asshole. Well, I I still had my cigarette in my hand, and I'm like, "Come on, dude, let me just go get our guys, and you know, we'll just go back." To the you were the dude. Me. Come on, dude. <laughs> and the guy pushed me, and I Not took cool. my cigarette and I flicked it, and it hit him right in the face. Good shot, right though. as Eric Singer and everybody was coming out of the club and Steve and all that shit. And then it just escalated from there. I remember there being fights in the street and I was running down the street saying, let's just get out of this riot. This is going to be a like, riot. Bah, 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 bah. There was a guy. I don't remember the gunshot, but thank goodness. It yeah. was the door guy. I, I just talked to Calico about this a few days ago. We were, we were all brawling and pushing and punching Eric Singer, Steve, everybody. And then all of a sudden, somebody pulled a gun out and just shot it in the air. Bah, yeah. bah, 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 bah. I'm sorry. Was just, I, I was already halfway to the hotel by that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, that was a good Hot good damn. Time, we finally got the story of the uh, the great Lulia riot caused by uh, the peace-loving John Karabi. All right. You know what? I, that was a total tangent. I did not expect that story. Um, I want to get to celebrity questions real quick because comedian Earl Skakel. He actually DM'd me, and he wants to know, um, and this is one of the bands that, from Union leading to Air, the ESP, Eric Singer Project, which a lot of people don't know what ESP means. Uh, how He wants to know what it was like dealing with Bruce Kulick and Jamie Hunting, no less dealing with Eric Singer. <laughs> well, Eric, see, this was Union, though. Um, Earl was a, actually, I met Earl through, I believe if Brent Fitz knew him first. And um, it was fine. Like, like Bruce and I, uh, Bruce and I definitely are like oil and water, but we respect the shit out of each other. And um, we had this thing where it's like I could literally hand him a riff, and Bruce would always come up with a part that there was no way I would have ever thought of it, and it and it worked. Um, but we also wound up doing uh, ESP with. Eric Singer and Chuck Garrick right after we've released the first union album, um, which is, uh, I, I don't even have to deal with Bruce. Uh, Chuck and I would just sit in the back of the van and watch Eric and Bruce go at it in a comical way. So it, it, it was, it was easy. And Jamie, Jamie's is Jamie. He's like, I used to kid around with him and go, dude, whatever network earth is on, you're on a company completely different satellite oh, dish. Jamie was you know in I mean? a, he was in his own he was in his and own he, zip code as you would say. Exactly. <laughs> and he plays like a he, he, like I've never seen anybody like 
it, it was funny. Like we'd sit on the tour bus and Jamie would literally sip uh, Bacardi 151. Like no mixer, just sip on it. And, you know, just be sitting there going like this and then walk on stage and sing and play the bass like nobody's business. Like, God, and then just go right back to being Jamie wow. again. Yeah, Bacardi but, 151 was a totally different type of use for it for me. It was usually involved cotton balls in a glass pipe. I don't want to get into yeah. it. But here's the thing. Uh, yes or no answer. Uh, dealing, if you think of Bruce Kulick, would you say that he's the Larry David of rock and roll? <laughs> <laughs> At times, yes. Oh, um, I would like a fact. I would definitely like the fact, not a fiction. He Because I will say it. Bruce Kulick is the Larry David of rock and roll fact. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I will I will go with that. But we we used to, you know, it's funny. We did a tour with Bruce and he was just, you know, but he was wearing a lot of different hats. Um, anybody that knows me knows I'm a tornado. I walk into a room and it's like, give me five minutes in that room and it's going to look like a bomb went off. <laughs> and Bruce is very thorough and organized. So we we go on tour. That oil and and that's oil and Oil water. and water, yeah. dude. And like, you know, and he would go in, he'd be doing this and doing that. And he'd be, he'd be like mom and us or little Jewish grandmother, keeping us all in line. And I would literally sit there and, uh, but almost to the point where the other three of us were like, dude, seriously, lighten up, bro. Lighten up. So we made Bruce, uh, we'd go on tour, we'd do our show and then we'd get back on the bus and we would immediately make a Jack Daniels and Coke, make a Jack and Coke, and then roll a joint and make them take one hit. Just take a hit off of this, drink that. Lower and the temperature. Like, yeah. Yeah. Lower. And the temperature was lowered. And we got along with them great. Well, here, we're going to continue with a union-based song because another celebrity uh, people want to speak question comes from uh, lead guitarist and also just recently on the MORC, lead vocalist of the band Choir Boys UK. Uh, he wants to know, uh, Griff, of course, Griff would like, Guy Griff would like to know if uh, you have any memories of the Union Glimmer US tour. Yes. It took them a minute to kick in when I, when I saw Griff again, like with the Choir Boys. I, I kind of like, oh, like he, he, he even said to me, uh, he goes, yeah, dude, we did that whole tour together, remember? And I'm like, oh, yes. We had so much fun on that. But that's part of the reason why I don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> but um, we did an entire tour with those guys. And it was just, hello, the circus is coming to town. And, <laughs> you know, and it was funny, like, just being like the single white American guy. I, I just wait and let all those guys with their lovely English accent, accent uh, walk into the club. And they're like, you know, all the girls and the bartenders and, you know, bar waitresses, they're all like, you know, hello, love. Can I get a, you know, <laughs> whatever. Oh my and God, then it's he like, you see, something. you see these girls, like their panties just come off <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, okay. That, I'm just going to follow those guys and pick up whatever they drop behind them. <laughs> Their it angoras went wild. Is that what you're saying? Their angoras yeah, pretty, went pretty nuts. I love it. Pretty much. All right. Well, let's move on to Rob Blackmore wants to know your thoughts, and I have no idea what this is about. Rob Blackmore uh, wants to know your thoughts on Oak Island. Uh, 
What is that about? I have no idea. He, it, Rob lives in uh, Nova Scotia, and he was just he just wrote to me a couple days ago. He goes, man, I'd love for you to come up to Nova Scotia and do a show and blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, and I could go to Oak Island and watch them dig for the treasure. <laughs> I love that show. Okay. There, if, 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 if you have the History Channel, um, I believe it's the History Channel, but there's a thing that's called uh, Searching uh, – the mystery of Oak Island. And it's literally about uh, all these guys. I mean, for the last 150 years, these people have been going there because they believe that the Knights Templar took all that religious artifacts and gold and silver, and they took it to this island and buried it. And these guys have been there for eight years with ground like radar and they're digging and you know and they're but they're finding shit like they literally found a knight's templar cross <laughs> that was dated from like 1300 and they're finding all this stuff so i love the show and he, so basically what, what you're saying is show. after people watch a show about tommy's dick and then move on to the beatles you know uh come together and get back and get you know everything amazing about that then they can move on to of course uh Oak well, Island. and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be I'm the curse of Oak Island. Yeah, I'm trying to get Tommy to come up there with me and we could use his dick as a drill. <laughs> whatever. See, that that's a comedian. That's a that's a turnaround. That's a comeback or whatever the that's hell. That's called a turnaround, folks. Is that what it is? Is is, is some sort of thing that Earl Skakel Skakel would use? Earl Skakel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Write, write, uh, that, write that write that down, Earl. <laughs> so here's here's a question from someone that sounds like they would come from Nova Scotia. Jax Knudsen Claudine. That sounds very, very, very Canadian, but it's not, but he's not. He's he's a good old USA rock and roller. He wants to know about the Motley Crue album that you were working on after the self titled album. The working title was uh, Personality Number no. 9, and will any of those songs ever see the day of light? Actually, to be honest with you, a majority of them actually appeared on what became Generation Swine. Uh, we had recorded a bunch of stuff, and they took Vince's record, they took Vince, or took my voice off, reworked the songs a little bit, and had Vince re-sing them. And so a lot of that stuff actually came on, like Afraid, uh, Glitter, uh, the song Glitter was called Bang when I was in the band. So they just kind of tweaked the titles and put all that stuff out on Generation. A bit of a collaboration of sorts, if you will. Yes. Yes. Okay. So there you go. That's why that's why you would like to have sex with Motley Crue. Uh, a little bit of fuck, you know? Because it, it sounds like it's still kind of, you know, bombastic and everything, the relationship, but it's still there. There's, there's something there. Um, moving on. At Tico Torres Rocks, at Tico Torres Rocks, I wonder who he's a fan of. You, John Karabi, Karabi, have amazing tattoos. Can you explain the meaning of a couple of them? I will only ask you to explain the meaning of one, if that's okay, because only for time's sake. Or do you do you um, have a tattoo that you'd like to explain? To be honest with you, like a lot of this stuff is just um, different things that I've acquired over the years. And now I got a tattoo artist in Nashville that kind of went in and redid a bunch of my stuff. And it's just, it, there's no rhyme or reason. Like some people go, Oh, I'm doing an Oriental theme or I'm doing a Celtic theme. And I'm just kind of like, Can't I just say Oriental anymore. Cool. I'm sorry. It's 2022. It's like some, yeah, sort of it's thing. just <laughs> kind of all over the place. Um, and I just had it colored in by this amazing guy named, uh, Adam, the kid, uh, at a place called, um, uh, shout out Adam, the kid. Yeah. 
Custom Thrills. Custom um, Thrills, baby. In in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's he's awesome. So well, there you there's go. There's no rhyme or reason to anything. So there's no stories by any of the tattoos. That's why I am a clean slate. Although I do have one. Okay. I do have to say this one right here. I don't know. Full don't screen, know. Vic. Can you go full screen? See these two little buttons right here on my arm? I definitely do. Okay. There's one says reset. The other says kill. And in 1994, we went to Texas, Tommy and I, and we hung out with uh, Dimebag Daryl. God bless him. At the and strip bar. The- I know you went to the strip bar, right? We did go to the strip bar, and then from there we went to a tattoo parlor. Tommy got a reset and kill switch. I got a reset and kill switch, and Dimebag had a reset and kill switch. So I'm in the process of having this arm redone, and those two buttons will never disappear. I'm going to have them recolored in and so that they stand out a little better. That's my little tribute to Dimebag. There it is. There it is. John Karabi's tribute to Dimebag Daryl. Reset, kill, tattoos, matching on Three amigos, if you will, right? John, Tommy, yes, sir, and Dimebag. Great, man. The, the, we're we're rolling right through these. If you're cool with it, um, I have uh, one more question for you. That would be. Um, let me try. And then to... you might have to do a glasses commercial again because my old man bladder's kicking in, dude. It's no <laughs> problem if you need to actually need, take a pee. I just need two minutes. <laughs> no, that happens, dude. Come on, you you go ahead, go take a pee, and come on back. And I I'll trust right me, I can talk to people. These are my people here in the trenches. I can't tell you how happy we are to have you because John is taking a much-needed pee break. See, me, being the smart guy that I am, I peed before. And you know what the reason is? Because look, look at all this liquid. And look at this, folks. This is what I'm sort of putting out there subliminally. I didn't want to talk about it, but I'm putting it out there subliminally. Peace now, all right? And this one... I don't know. It's just a big old cocktail of vodka. I got to pee a little bit, but it's like that feeling in the back. Thanks. You know what? That's making me want to pee even more, Vic. Do you want to come out here and just uh, join us for a second so I can uh, just riff off you for a bit? He's shaking his head no. Just for a second, man. I think the podcast is going real well. Everybody, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, If you haven't subscribed to the, um, uh, right now, Ryan Roxy official on the uh, YouTube channel right there. Hit that button. Subscribe. Hit it. Because guess what? We want to get to 10,000 subscribers um, by when, Vic? As soon as possible. It doesn't matter when we do it. We just want to get there. Um, Today has been a really great episode with John Karabi. Uh, We are going to have... But you know what we could do right now, Vic? We could do Fan of the Week while he's here. Here it is. Our Fan of the Week. Come on, Vic. Do it right now. Now! This week's Fan of the Week is none other than Sam Wall. He has his own podcast. Go follow him with his own podcast. I did it just a, a few weeks ago. Um, the interview is still up there right now. So, Sam Wall, you are our Fan of the Week. He has been on um, the boat, the Monsters of Rock Cruise. That's where John Karabi and I got together, and we decided to have this um, this have him on the episode. Apparently, John is done peeing right now, but Sam Wall, you are a Fan of the Week. If you... Folks would like to uh, be interested in being the fan of the week. Just follow our Instagram or our YouTube official and start promoting these shows. Uh, thanks again for always uh, for supporting, being part of the live chat. And guess what? It's time for John Karabi to come back with us.
There you are, man. How you feeling? I didn't really have to pee. I had to rinse the nair off my balls. It was starting to burn. <laughs> Ouch. Don't do that before a podcast. You realize that. You know what? I'm aerodynamic, though, right now. I'll tell you that. I did it once during the pandemic. I'll be honest with you. My wife put it on me once, and it was, she did everything. And she called me the dolphin for like... Um, for like, for a couple months, for almost a month, but they call it. There's a different thing besides besides nair. It's called fleet in Europe. It's the same wow. thing. But you put it on, and basically, for some weird reason, it all everything comes off. Have, did, have you well, ever done that? I'm not using it on my face. <laughs> <not>. <laughs> Chuck Garrick does it once at the beginning of every tour. Like everything, uh, no. he's like he looks no. like a Tour de France uh, sort of uh, bicyclist or something like that. Vic is yeah, laughing, I'm, but it's true. He, he's I'm only laughing because he knows it's true. I'm just gonna stick with nature. <laughs> well, dude, if you stick with nature, then you're gonna be like in those 1970s porno flicks, which are completely, completely yeah. amazing. Naomi said too much info. <laughs> <laughs> A couple questions more from the uh, the fans and fans that want to know more and more and more. Along dot came dot uh, Alice dot Cooper. What happened with the Dead Daisies? Do you like the album Holy Ground? Yeah, I, I you know I thought the I thought the record was great. Um, you know, in in all honesty, I've had a few fans ask me about this, and it, it was weird. Like if. It, if everybody remembers, prior to me joining the Daisies, I actually had a solo band with Phil, Jeremy, uh, Topher. My bass player is here now. He's in the house. I love Topher. And, um, and, um, and my son. And, you know, the Daisies talked to me, and they asked me to go to Cuba with them. We did the show. And then they said, um, like, after I did the show, they called me about a week or so later. They were like, hey, would you want to do a record? And initially, when they talked to me, they said they were only going to need me really, like, maybe half the year. And I said, okay, well, I think I can make this work. You know, I can, I can tour with them maybe in the summer. I can tour with my band in the winter, vice versa, whatever. But it was weird. I did this first record with them in Australia called Revolution. And we immediately went on tour with Kiss. And it was, it. I, I, I hate to sound weird, but it just kind of exploded. Um, we were, and it was just tour, 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 tour. Like, I mean, we were touring constantly. Then we would come home, work on a record, go right back out on the road. Meanwhile, my son is sitting at home going, Dad, uh, I thought I was sucks. your drummer. I thought I was yeah, your drummer, like, dude. Like he, he was kind of getting mad at me because when, when are we going to fucking play again? Like, you know, and I'm like, all right, just, you know, let me, let me just finish this tour and let me see what the schedule is. But there just was no time for anything else I wanted to do. Plus I had just gotten married in August of 2014 and in, January or February of 2015, I'm in the daisies. I'm gone. I'm in Australia. I'm doing records, all this other shit. And it was like, not always the easiest thing. I did, I did, uh, 2015, 16, 17, and 18. So I did four years with him. We did four records, all that touring. And I just said, you know what? I need to just step off the carousel for a minute, catch my breath and focus on 
what I'm doing now. The book, Casi Bella, trying to put a band together with my kid again. Plus the new single, Your Own Worst Enemy, that just came out right now. And, um, you know, so I'm looking forward to the end of the year. Um, There's a couple of other things that I can't really go into at this point, but I'm in the process of developing a TV show. Oh, Um, crap. So I've got a lot of fingers and a lot of different pies and, and I'm happy, dude. You know what I mean? Like I'm just kind of doing my thing and well, there you go. I mean, and it sounds like it's, you've come, you've told the story about the dead daisies and it sounds very reasonable for anybody that's, that's listening. You've definitely put your time in. You definitely did the tours. You did everything you could do and you're back playing with your son, releasing singles, releasing all this new stuff, this new chapter with a book. And you know, you know as well as anybody playing with uh, Alice, who many years, I adore. Yeah. But you're you're kind of working his schedule. Absolutely. Um, do, you know what I mean? And I just like the fact that I'm kind of, I, I I just stepped off the carousel for a minute now. You know, if they said five years from now, like, hey, we want to do a make some noise reunion tour or something like that, I'm not saying no, but I'm just. I just wanted to get off the carousel for a minute, catch my breath and focus on the things on, on me, my son, my wife, and be the, be the captain of my own ship. Yeah. But the, the direction is always forward. And that, I, we can see that with the work that you're putting towards the solo career. And as far as the book as well, that's coming out. Um, hold on one second. There you go. Why would people know? They know I'm doing a podcast. Why would they try and what's at me at this point? Um, the one last question, and this is this actually goes with what you are doing uh, with your own solo career and all the stuff that you are promoting yourself um, at Radical Rage and uh, Dead Andy and a bunch of others uh, sort of DM me. I'm sorry I couldn't put all your names on this type of question, but there were a lot of questions that uh, related to this. Are you planning any upcoming tour in Europe? Because obviously European fans love it. Whether you do your solo storytelling stuff or whether you're doing it with the Lost Angels or whether you're just doing it in a whole new band type of situation. Well, I've been offered uh, some shows, but it was like one of those things where, you know, Nicholas, you know Nicholas, my tour course, manager yeah. over here. Yeah. So Nicholas is like, hey, I'm getting offers for shows from you. Um, you know, and it was this thing where it's like, okay, you know, you could come to Switzerland and you could quarantine for like 10 days and all that. And I'm like, no, I, I, I want to wait. That. No, it's just, you know, to each his own, you know, and I'm look, I'm vaccinated. I, I you know, I don't mind wearing a mask, whatever. But, you know, the, the, the shit gets to the point where it's like, okay, so when I tour Europe, you know, I'm in Italy for five days, then I'm in Germany for five or six days, then you're in Switzerland for a few days, then oh, France, man. then Poland, then, and each country's got their own thing, you know what I mean? And I'm like, let's just wait a little bit longer. Let me get some more music out. And ultimately, I would like to come back not and not do the acoustic thing. I want to come back with a full band with my son and my guys and just get out and start kicking ass electric, which I've never done. I did some shit with ESP with Eric Singer, 
but I've never done any solo shows uh, electric anywhere in Europe. So I kind of want to get back and do that again. Well, all of Europe hopes that you're able to do that. And the best way for people to support you from Europe and everybody that's watching in the States right now, um, let's get to where people... and. It, they are listening on the audio broadcast right now, or if you're just watching, uh, John, can you tell people the best way to get in touch with you and keep up on all things Karabi? Any, any of those sites, there's John Karabi official on Facebook, John Karabi music. There's uh, crab legs 59 on Twitter, uh, Instagram, John Karabi official. And then I have johnkarabi.com That's got my tour dates. It's got merch. Um, I'm actually in the process of, um, I'm building or not, not me. I have a guy that's helping me out because I, I took me like an hour to turn my fucking computer on today, <laughs> but um, you've had a great feed the whole time. So thank you very much. I, I applaud you for your 2022 internet because we have so many guests that come on and it, basically a lot of our interviews are like, yeah. And it- then it clicks in five <laughs> minutes later, but I have a guy named Sean Thornton. He's a great dude. He's out of Michigan and he's been helping me build my websites and he kind of admins everything for me. And he just contacted me this morning and I wanted to put an MP3 player where people could download the songs from me directly. Um, and I'm going to start putting music up there and if they want to download it, they can download it. Um, you know, and maybe some rarities, uh, some other things that I'm maybe not released to Spotify and all that other kind of shit. So I sounds plan like on you getting got a lot of things. Sounds yes. like you've got a lot of things in the in the in the pipe work, uh, up the pipe. I don't know how the hell they say it. There's so many different ways of saying it, but you have so many things in the works. Um, those links one more time, Vic, put them up so people can watch, uh, see them again. If you're listening to us, go on our YouTube official Ryan Roxy official YouTube channel to check out these links. But of course at John Krabi official on Instagram, that's where I've been, uh, following you lately as well as John Krabi music at crab legs 59. Um, Thanks to Mick Mars, of course, the linguist who gave you that name, which we found out earlier in the broadcast, and uh, official music, John Karabi YouTube, and, of course, where all this stuff is happening is johnkarabi.com. It's come to that time of the show, folks, where, honestly, I have to pee myself. But guess what? Not before you check out John Karabi's book, which is coming out soon enough. There you go with that uh, picture one more time, Vic Chalfant. Uh, That's Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Plus, check out the new single, uh, Your Own Worst Enemy by John Karabi, right there. And again, we go to all those links that we just gave you. I love the fact that you shout out to your team because I love to shout out to our team every single week. Um, Vic Chalfant, you've done a great job. Federica, you did a great job as far as compiling the interview. Everybody on the RGA team, and that includes you all in the trenches that have been in the live chat. Thank you for showing up each and every week. Um, one last question, John, because you're so good with words and maybe you can draw something from your, from your father and, and give it to us. But uh, do you have any sort of, uh, words of advice, words of life, words of wisdom that uh, you live by that you could pass on to our listeners? You know what, dude, I, I've kind of come, uh, especially after the Motley thing 
I, I had a very rude awakening when I realized that all those people that were, you know, and I'm sure you've dealt with this as well. You know, all those people that were calling me for tickets and calling me to invite me out, wanted me to get the limo, like all that shit. And then when Vince came back, it was crickets. <laughs> so what I do is I just do the best I can keep my fingers crossed and just keep moving forward. I don't expect anything from anybody. I just do the best I can. And then all the rest of the shit that's out of my control, I don't even fucking worry about it. It is what it is. It is what it is. Horseshoes and hand grenades. And uh, if you're, what is it? If your boat comes in, don't be at a fucking airport. <laughs> when, when your ship comes in, don't be at the fucking airport. I fucking love that. I love that. Next week's guest on In the Trenches, folks, will be David Liebert. That will be our guest on next stage because you'll start hearing the blitz on that. But you know what? Let's celebrate this week. Have yourself a great weekend. John Karabi, thanks for being our guest on In the Trenches. Until thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Until next time, we'll see you all next week. And we'll see you all in the trenches. Enjoy the ride. Have a good one, folks. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello. Moby, give him his guitars back.